Grace and peace to you, beloved. I'm glad to be here with you. <laughs> it's been one of those mornings where things have not gone exactly as planned in pretty much any area, but it's okay because we are here to worship and God receives that and the Holy Spirit takes what we offer and so it's going to be okay. I did want to acknowledge that we are having technical difficulties once again, but there is hope in sight because we do have some new equipment ordered and on the way. Some of it's already here, so hopefully by next week, or the week after, we'll be able to do the live stream and the slides at the same time. That seems to be a little bit much for our current setup, so thank you for your grace. We're also having a little bit of trouble with some of the liturgy this morning. Were you on the email? Is that where you were accessing it when you were reading the... You just did it this morning. Okay, so again, grace is greatly appreciated, and hopefully we'll be in a better situation. I'm also hearing a little bit of an echo in my mic right now, so if we can adjust that, that would be great, too. I know Diane will work on it for us. Let's give Diane a round of applause while we're at it. Uh, it's not easy to pull this off every week, and she does it three times on Sunday. <laughs> so we're grateful for that. If you don't know me yet, I'm Amy Wilson-Feltz. I'm the pastor here at Morningstar, and I'm really glad to be a part of this community. We are starting a new sermon series today called Holy Justice. Our first passage comes from Amos chapter 5, so I do invite you to take a look at that passage if you can in your Bibles or on your phone, and perhaps it will be on the screen, but if it is not, you can also just close your eyes and listen. These are the words of God through the prophet Amos. I'll be reading verses 18 through 27. Hear now the word of God. Alas for you who desire the day of the Lord. Why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light, as if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear or went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bitten by a snake. Is not the day of the Lord darkness, not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings of forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sakoth, your king, and Kaiwan, your star god, your images which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will take you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's hard to say that after a reading like that, isn't it? Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Several years ago, 
I was affiliated with a congregation when the members were considering adding a contemporary worship service to their Sunday morning schedule. At that time, they had two services that were identical in order in which the people sang favorite hymns accompanied by the piano or the organ, but they also sang some contemporary songs accompanied by the piano or the guitar. They did this in both services, which meant that no one was happy. It's true. <laughs> the pastoral leadership reasoned that two distinct styles of worship, one traditional and one contemporary, would allow people to really connect with God with fewer barriers. And so he began a discussion hoping that the people would grow through the process and that the services would grow. And it did happen as the years went on. But I remember very distinctly sitting in on a listening session while the decision was being made, and the pastor gave the congregation members the chance to share their thoughts about the process. And as you can imagine, they have plenty of things to say. Some of the statements were harsh and dismissive. Some of them were encouraging and supportive. Some of them were neutral. But there's one comment that I will never forget. When the pastor invited people to share what they were thinking about the possibility of adding a contemporary service, one beloved longtime member said, I just don't want a rock concert in the sanctuary. I just don't want a rock concert in the sanctuary. Now, this was a person who preferred traditional worship and had zero plans to ever attend a contemporary worship service. But the conversation was about a contemporary service in his sacred space, the sanctuary where he sang his beloved hymns to the organ and the piano. He was uncomfortable with the idea of any alternative forms of worship in that space, even if it took place at a time when he wasn't in the building. Now, I'm not sharing that to pick on this person. He's a wonderful person, and I love him dearly. I'm sharing this story because what he thought and what he said is so very human. It's so very common. We all have thoughts like these. We have our preferences in pretty much every area of life, and worship is no exception. We know what we like, what helps us feel centered, what helps us connect with God. And I'm talking about everything from where we sit to the degree of the lighting, to the arrangement of the sound system, to the temperature of the room, to the style of the music, to the topic of the preaching, to the gender of the preacher, to the method and frequency of communion, to the wording of the prayers and the version of the scripture readings. And it's okay. It's totally okay that we have these preferences. It's okay to share them with the people who facilitate worship the worship services that we attend. It is okay to have those preferences. The problem comes in when we allow our preferences to become the focus of our worship without realizing it. This is one of the points that God is making through the prophet Amos in the text that we read this morning. We can become so distracted by the elements or quality of worship that don't meet expectations like slides that refuse to work and we can allow our preferences to become more important than whom we're worshiping. And when that happens, our worship on Sunday morning definitely disconnects from the way that we live the rest of our lives because it's no longer about connecting and serving God. It's about what we need and what makes us comfortable. 
And we know our practice of faith is about more than that. It has to be if we are following Jesus, but following Jesus is not easy. And we raise barriers to that journey without even recognizing it sometimes. In fact, we tell ourselves lies. Some lies are more harmful than others, of course, but one lie in particular in particular, is wreaking havoc in the lives of followers of Jesus, and it's this. We cannot be holy. We cannot be holy. It's a lie. It's a lie that we tell ourselves. And this wording is not original to me. I came across it in a book by Matthew Kelly, who is a writer, an author, a speaker from Australia. And he he claims... And this resonates with me that we tell ourselves we can't be holy because we've convinced ourselves that we can't change. And I've I've witnessed this and experienced this in my own life and in my decade and a half of congregational ministry. We think we can't change and grow. Now, we may think that we as individuals can change and grow, but those wretched people in our lives who irritate us, and make our days miserable, they can never change or grow. They are stuck where they are. They are beyond hope. So our best option as a human race, then, we tell ourselves, is just to recognize that we're all sinners in need of God's grace and throw ourselves upon the mercy of God to forgive us over and over again as we make the same mistakes because we're not going to change. Thank God for grace, right? And, of course, God is gracious. And God will continue to forgive us over and over again. But God is also holy. And God expects us to be holy as well. The Bible tells us so in several different places. But what does that mean? Well, simply put, to be holy is to be set apart for a specific purpose. To be set apart for a specific purpose. And we will see as we wade into our text from Amos that such holiness has something to do with our understanding and with our practice of worship, just not what you might think. Worship is something that we value here at Morningstar. It's part of our mission. It's part of our vision. One way to say this is that we have been set apart to point people to the grace of God that we find in Jesus through inspirational worship, radical inclusion, and the alleviation of suffering. You may be getting tired of hearing me say these words. It's important that we really internalize them because these are the ways that we seek to be holy in community. That's what our new series, Holy Justice, is really all about. In this three-week series, we're going to look at how our mission and our vision connect with our daily lives and the needs that we experience in the world around us. We're talking about that place where faith and action meet, and today we're focusing on worship. And it just so happens that God has some expectations for us in that area. Just ask Amos. It's possible that I keep pushing our examination of this passage lower and lower in the sermon (laughs) because it's a hard read. And I may have imagined it, but I'm pretty sure I saw cringes on the faces of some of the men who participate in the men's Bible study because we spent all of the fall talking about Amos. And it's a hard journey because God is angry. 
more than that, God is livid. That's the whole reason Amos was sent to the northern kingdom of Israel from his home in the southern kingdom of Judah. God called this sheep breeder to be the spokesperson of God at a time when God had some very choice words for the people. Our text today comes in the second half of the book, which is only nine chapters long. It wouldn't take you long to read it, except you're probably going to stop reading here and there because it's harsh. Our passage comes after Amos already has delivered a laundry list of things that the people of Israel have done that are displeasing to God. But the grievances boil down to this. The chosen people of God are ignoring the needs of people in their communities. They're disregarding and even exploiting the situations of the poor while they themselves lived comfortable, extravagant, wasteful, selfish lives six days a week. Then they have the nerve to show up to worship, offering fat sacrifices, playing their musical instruments and singing praises to God, and God cannot accept any of it. God refuses to hear it. I hate, I despise your festivals, God says through Amos in chapter 5. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. I will not accept your offerings, take away the noise of your songs. I will not listen to your melody. God rejects their worship because it's shallow, it's hollow, it's fake. It means nothing because it's disconnected from the way that God calls the people to live from the people God has called them to be. God is angry, beloved, because the people have forgotten that they were blessed to be a blessing. They've forgotten the core of their identity as the children of God, as we discussed last week when we talked about baptism, as we reminded ourselves this morning when we celebrated Daniel's baptism. So here's a spoiler alert for every book of prophecy in the Old Testament. This is always why God is angry. It's the same reason that Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple when they were gouging the poor travelers who had come to purchase their sacrifices. God gets angry when people who claim to love God and follow Jesus ignore and exploit people in need. In fact, God has set just one expectation of our worship, and that's to connect it with justice. God has one expectation of worship, that it flows out of just living. That's exactly what God requires of us, as another Old Testament prophet tells us. If we look at Micah 6, 8, we read, God has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does God require of you? But to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Do justice. Love, kindness, and walk humbly. Well, kindness and humility are words that we're pretty familiar with in this community. We talk about them often. They're fairly easy to define, even if they're not easy to practice all of the time. But justice is a different matter. It's a word that we say often as well, but it means different things for different people. And it can have strong connotations associated with human history and with our own personal experiences So for the sake of our community, it might be easier to start with what justice is not. Justice is not charity. 
charity is the giving of goods or services to help a person with a specific, usually immediate, need. And we could think about here the giving of food or clothing or money. It's a good thing. It's something that we need to do. It's part of living out our faith. But charity is not justice. Nor is justice equality. Equality is this idea that we all need access to the same opportunities, the same resources. Again, this is a worthy aim. We need to work toward this. It's part of justice. But equality is not justice itself. Nor is equality equity. Equity is similar to equality, but equality assumes that we need the same helps to get the resources. Equity acknowledges that we have different needs. We have different circumstances. We have different areas of growth. We need different things to help us achieve those opportunities to live full and healthy lives. We have barriers, all of us, but they're not the same. Equity ensures that people have what they need specifically, not what most people need. Equity is critically important, and it requires us to build relationships so that we can identify what the differences are there and help each other. But equity is not justice. Justice is the removal of the barriers. Justice is the removal of barriers that keep people from living sustainable, safe, and healthy lives. Now, certainly, we want to remove barriers for ourselves and for our loved ones. That's the American way. But what Amos teaches us is that justice is not a personal matter. It's a social one. And this goes right along with our teachings from John Wesley, one of the founders of our Methodist tradition. John Wesley believed in personal holiness, prayer, reading scripture. But he also believed in social holiness and caring for others, and living out your faith in practical ways. There is no personal holiness without social holiness. We cannot fully practice a personal faith without accepting our social responsibilities. This is where faith and action meet. This is where the biggest lie in Christianity is revealed, and holiness actually becomes possible. Because we can be holy. We can be holy, beloved, and there's no shame in talking about our holiness because it's not a reflection of us. Our holiness is a reflection of God's love for all people. And it's for this reason that we have been set apart to tell that story, to demonstrate that story of God's love with our very lives. It's why we worship, but it's also how we worship beyond Sunday morning because our God cares not just about justice, but about social justice. Social justice is the removal of systemic barriers. Now, I am not naive. I know that this phrase is a lightning rod for some people. We've attached a lot of baggage to it, especially over the last several years. I know that we each have our own views of the realities and causes and challenges of barriers that whole people groups face in this country and this world, whether those barriers are related to race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, age, ability, immigration status, and a whole other host of categories. And I can feel that some of you are beginning to squirm in your seats right now 
wondering what I'm going to say next after stringing all of those hot-button words together. So I encourage you to take a deep breath because I'm not going to take advantage of that. I'm simply asking you to think about these things, to be curious about them and how they relate to your faith, to reflect upon the ways that your worship on Sunday morning connects with your care of others and not just the people you know and love, not just the people you can tolerate or accept, but people you may never meet, people you don't understand, people you dislike, people you hate. Today's a good day to think about these things. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I wouldn't dare try to teach you about the work of MLK. Many of you know much more about that because you lived it, or your parents lived it. But I will share with you my favorite thing about his message. He valued the words of Amos. In fact, this very passage that we read this morning played a role in his doctoral education And he quoted verse 24 in some of his most famous letters and speeches. We will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. He said this in his I Have a Dream speech on August 28th in 1963. But remember, God said it first. Sure, one person's rock concert is another person's worship service. But I'm here to tell you that God couldn't care less about that. When our time together on Sunday morning becomes more than just worship, when it truly inspires us to believe that we can be holy, when it inspires us to live out our holiness in the place where faith and action meet, that, beloved, is music to God's ears. Amen? Amen. We have come to our time of prayer. I do want to remind you that every week we send out a prayer email that has details about things that are going on with members of our community. And so I invite you to take a look at that and pray over it. And if you're not receiving it, let us know so that we can add you to that list I think Kathy said this morning we have at least a dozen people in our community who have tested positive for the Omicron variant. This is a new reality for us, even throughout Delta, that people within our community who tested positive were few and far between. We never had this many at once. Certainly we're experiencing what other areas of the country and world are experiencing, and we trust that God is with us, and we pray for healing, and we pray for deliverance from this situation as well. So I invite you now to take a deep breath. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, help us to offer worship that is pleasing to you. You want more than singing and dancing and a gift and the offering. You desire justice. So stir our hearts to offer you true worship that provides service to those who are poor, grieving, enslaved, incarcerated, hungry, thirsty, naked, and without a place to call home. Let our acts of compassion roll like a river. 
Let us offer worship that is woven into obedience because anything less than obedience is self-made, self-centered, and self-created. Our holy text tells us that you reject this inwardly focused worship. If we engage in worship in this way, we do not live into the freedom that you offer us. So we pray that our lives will be marked by true worship, and we pray that this real worship will free the oppressed around us, even as we ourselves are freed from what binds us. In the name of Jesus, amen.